Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson from Thompson and Hollywood. And this time I'm actually a little bit closer to your time zone, Ann, because I'm out in Estes Park, Colorado, staying in a creepy hotel for what appears to be a horror film festival, although sometimes it's hard to tell because it just kind of feels like a bunch of horror film geeks hanging out. But it's the Stanley Film Festival at the Stanley Hotel, and it's uh, the third year, and it's just kicking off. And honestly, I'm I'm more excited to be here than I am anticipating can. I mean, those smaller festivals can sometimes be more valuable, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because you you end up hanging out with people. Um, I understand. I mean, I can tell from my Facebook pages that um, the head of IMDb, Carl Needham, uh, is there, and and uh, I think Jen Yamato is there, who's now at um, Daily Beast, yep, one yep. of our favorite uh, Twitter feeds on that I follow. And uh, Tom Quinn is getting a Visionary Award for distributions. They wanted to give it to somebody who had been sort of supportive of genre films. And it's actually a really interesting time for a festival like this because Radius has had some success with It Follows. Uh, Ex Machina is doing really well for A24. It might be their real first significant success box office-wise. And it just kind of feels like maybe there's a shift in, in, in excitement around these kinds of movies that aren't necessarily going to be treated as sort of prestige art house films, but they're also not, you know, these big blockbusters like the kind that, you know, are opening wide this week. And that But they of, are are smart horror films. Yeah, they're exactly. In, that, in the IndieWire demo, if you like. Yeah, um, well, I love that concept. Discerning <laughs> audiences who like horror. Yeah, absolutely. And With I'm a directorial always... stamp. And I'm, I'm always found that with these movies, the other thing that's valuable is that they they don't just work for the choir. In other words, you know, It Follows is a movie that's sort of a coming-of-age story. It's very expressionistic, and it's got jump scares. And Ex Machina, you know, it's kind of a love story of sorts. It's got these heady questions about artificial intelligence, and it's, it's, it's like kind of hard sci-fi kind of movie in a different sort of way. And I like being surprised by movies that I don't think I'm going to like. In fact, there's one opening this week that we should talk about, which is Far From the Madden Crab, Thomas Vinterberg's adaptation of this Thomas Hardy, you know, Victorian-era novel, which has been done in the big screen before. But, um, I, you know, I heard pretty mixed stuff from you and others going into it and was surprised as one of the last people to see it before it opened uh, at a screening at the Film Society of Lincoln Center this week to find that it was, I thought it was quite strong. I mean, it was, it's very pared down. Uh, Thomas Vinterberg is a great director of actors, and I feel like Carrie Mulligan really carries this movie in a way that, in some ways, loosens it from the period setting. It felt more uh, sophisticated and, and less sort of dry and, and, and sullen as someone might expect a movie like this to be because it's... You could argue that him. it's also not exactly what Thomas Hardy wrote. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's some value in that, you know? <laughs> But well, I it think- depends. I mean, it depends on your point of view. I mean, I, I, um, I think, I think that she brings. I think she's fantastic in it, by the way, and and the movie should be seen because of her performance right. and the chemistry between her and Matthias Schweinarts, which is, you know, palpable and wonderful, and and uh, you root for them. But, but the other men um, at leads are good too. I mean, I thought Michael Sheen was yeah. very strong. You know? Michael Sheen is fine. He plays the Peter Finch role yeah. in the Schlesinger movie, but I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't believe for a minute that Bathsheba was going to throw her her independence over uh, and get together with the uh, the, the 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 young lieutenant 
Well, but what I think is, is actually compelling about that is that the movie foregrounds her individuality and the way in which she reacts against all these men who assume that they can just sort of become a part of their lives. You know, it's just as easy as saying, you know, I think you're pretty, will you marry me? And then this person will just fall to you. But she owns this big plot of land and she's calling the shots. And so even when she ends up, you know, hooking up with this swashbuckling guy, what I thought was powerful and on some level and, and kept me hooked was that I, I think it was because she was so inexperienced romantically she thought that this is what a relationship should be and it went south so it was a learning experience for her on some level and there is totally of that that works it, I'll, I'll give you that it's sort of soapy maybe the material in some ways is has this no, like it's proto supposed to be it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a bodice ripper it's supposed to work on that level it and, works. I, and, it, and it does yeah. and it's quite gorgeous but i found um <clears throat> uh, how do i say this that i mean matthias Schweinarts is so um sensitive and powerful and manly and 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 lovely in every way um but but you you believe him as this salt of the earth you know the 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 farmer who who has fallen from his station but is loyal and and true um but the but the swashbuckling lieutenant is so obvious and so and so not um of her metal at all and and she it's just incredibly difficult to believe in the way that Carrie Mulligan plays her that, that this is a more intelligent and and forthright and and powerful Bathsheba that that she would that she would crumple so completely. Yeah, I, I suppose there is something you could you could pull apart there, and at the same time, I think those questions are what makes the movie sort of intriguing. That there's an element of ambiguity to her decisions that you, you read through her facial expression. I mean, you, like you said, I mean, she carries this movie, which leads me to my next somewhat if terrifying question. If it's a hit. If, it's, if a, it's a hit. If it's a hit, is this the first Oscar performance of the year? I think so. I think so. But there, a lot of people are sort of pushing back and saying, suffragette, suffragette. So we need to point out that there's another movie, a rival uh, to the Carrie Mulligan um, Oscar nomination by Carrie Mulligan. And, and it's a, a British uh, feminist uh, uh, eye opener about what the, uh, um, the suffragettes in Britain went through uh, to get the vote. And it was violent and it was crazy. And I hear it's quite good. So uh, we'll see. That'll be more of a standard focus features fall entry. Sure. And and so it's interesting that Searchlight <clears throat> has obviously opted to go the commercial route with this movie. Yeah, I mean, and a couple months I'm ago. not sure that it would have stood up in the fall to the usual fall film festival. I mean, it's getting great reviews, by the way. If you look online, given what's going on in this time of year, there's so little out there. Right. Uh, it well. of such merit that it's getting great reviews well, from people like you. Yeah, I mean, a couple months ago, we were thinking, is this movie going to be in competition? It can. And if it had It isn't been, the kind of movie that would, be, would have done well in right. that context, I think. This right. is the smart play. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's Searchlight, it just never ceases to amaze me with those guys. I mean, they don't always hit the target. But, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, this movie works for the slot it's in right now. It's the sort of counter-programming to the Avengers. It's There's not a lot of stuff to compete with right now. And even if Carrie Mulligan isn't a, a real Oscar contender for this role, like you're saying, 
it could contribute to her momentum when this other movie shows up. Right? That's also true. And what I what I also want, and I'm I'm enjoying listening and reading. I mean, we have an interview. Uh, the IndieWire uh, folks have one up right now by Nigel Smith, and there's I just listened to her on NPR, um, and I spoke to her. So someone may want to read what I do later uh, on Monday, but do um, it. or not. But but she's she is. Inc- um, First of all, she's a movie star, which is which is not you know this doesn't happen every day, and uh, I love the fact that she's just been very discerning from such films as An Education, which launched her to Never Let Me Go, which nobody watched, which which has become more popular um, in ancillary markets. Don't um, forget about Shame. Of, of course, uh, that that incredible uh, scene on the sofa with with Michael Fassbender, her inside brother, inside Lewin Davis, and her singing, and and inside Lewin Davis, she held up to the Coen Brothers in New York in the folk scene. She sang. I mean, she's she's got it all. She's a theater actress. I'm going to see her in Skylight after Cannes in New York with Bill Nye, and she. Was oh, I want to go with you tonight. <laughs> you should. You should. It's it's really it's really she's just got it all and trained up the wazoo and and excellent taste and she said to me her agent said to her um don't do you are in a position where you can afford to say no don't do anything that you would just not die if someone else did you know in other words you you have to do it and that's been she's taken time off and she's done it she has picked well and uh and she's also not, you know, she's being quite open as Kristen Stewart has been, and some, a lot of other actresses are are really stepping up and and saying we don't want this sexist bullshit. We're not going to do it. We're going to do our own stuff. And it's and also, it, I mean, she's she turns thirty this month. I was just looking it up, and that means that a lot know, ahead of her. The next decade, in particular, can be really fascinating in terms of what she can do and the sort of conversations going on in Hollywood right now about. You know the 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 gender gap and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, I think it just... there's a little bit of movement in the force. I mean, I, there there's a, you know, it's interesting to 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 uh, even you know they want to do some female superheroes. Scarlett Johansson. It, it looks to be inheriting the the uh, the Avengers uh, universe uh, for the moment. Um, even if she doesn't get as many uh, action figures as Mark Ruffalo <laughs> was complaining, um, you know, uh, there's there's room um, apparently for a, a, you know a female Ghostbusters or possibly even um, what's the other one that they're they're going to remake w- with women uh, that that was announced this week. Uh, oh God, there's I, I try to not to remember Jump, these Jump Street, Twenty One Jump God. Street. Um, so if they have to do another uh, okay, at least there's like some, some progressive politics behind some, it. Yeah, I hear some you. women in there. You know, give us a give us a nerd and a and a, and an action babe and see what happens. So this Why opens not? up another issue, which I think is actually really worth talking about. That's not about feminism or anything to that extent, but in a larger sense, it has to do with the way in which. Actors are really calling the shots now. I mean, it, it, it used to be, and you can look at those WikiLeaks from Sony, there's certainly the, the executives are trying to be the ones kind of in charge of where things are going, but it seems like more and more it's, it's the actors who are saying, I want to be involved in this project and it's going to have this kind of an impact on if it's a good movie, other kinds of movies that are being made and so forth. And that's, 
I think actually a positive development in some ways. You know. Well, what's happened is that they may not be getting the $20 million paydays anymore, and there are very, very, very few actors who, who can hope to score that kind of, of money. Um, there used it's too to be much money anyway. I mean, I just feel like it's just it's, it's reckless. Why, why go after those ginormous paychecks when you can cultivate a much more fascinating career with diverse sort of projects and work with different directors, and people respect you at the end of the day? Well, there's still actors who who don't, you know, uh, play by the. I mean, I think uh, bless his heart. I mean, you know, someone like Robin Williams always seemed, uh, you know, to to measure his worth by by his his paycheck. Which and, is too bad because he was Robert so. Robert De Niro great. is guilty. Yeah. You know, and those guys, that. when they do these smaller movies, like De Niro doing. Robert De Niro did better with uh, David O. Russell, right. and maybe he's beginning to figure that out. And Robin Williams did, um, you know, World's Greatest Dad. I mean, when when they do, when they're willing to go to that scale, people are giving them things that will remind Good us why we like them. Because right. those, those kinds of movies that, that you know. I mean, for De Niro, it's like the kind of movies that made his career may have been studio movies, but they're not studio movies that are being made anymore. Well, that kind of dick measuring is no longer uh, the issue because even the biggest stars, not all of them, by the way, um, but the biggest ones, they recognize that if they're going to have anything to do except, uh, you know, gesticulate across a green screen, uh, they're going to have to go to go indie. Most of them realize this. The Matthew McConaughey of it all. Sure. George Clooney and the Brad Pitt. They recognize that posterity is and, and having something to chew on. It doesn't mean they won't do a big budget, you know, go go, you know, uh, World War Z or whatever it is. But 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 they're they're still gonna they're still gonna um try to stretch every now and again to keep their threat. It's interesting you mentioned World War Z because, you know, that was produced by Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's production company. I mean, these people have the authority to make even the bigger movies that they want to make, and that's... They turned it into a smart movie. They turned it into a movie that that was about something, and, and it had a certain organic integrity of its own, uh, actually, even though they, and they remade half of it to, to make it work to, at a great deal of expense for the studio. And I, I think there are many who doubt that the movie ever really broke even, (laughs) (laughs) but that's what Brad Pitt can do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess the one who stands out as sort of not fulfilling this kind of more honorable agenda would be Robert Downey Jr. Who it's been great to see sort of make a comeback in the last few years, but the reason I bring him up is because he made a comment that I found really disappointing about his aversion to indies. And I may as well, since it's just sort of out there and getting processed now, I'll just, like, read it. What he says is, I'm interested in doing all kinds of different movies. Sometimes the little movies are the ones that wind up taking the most out of you because they're like, hey, man, we're just running a couple of days behind. Do you think you can stay through your birthday and then come back on the 4th of July? And, by the way, like, the crew, can you pay for the craft services? Oh, and by the way, man, when we go to Sundance, it's like... Can we just sit you in a chair and sell this for six days in a row so that we'll make 180 bucks when it opens in one theater? Uh, I mean, that's, that's just so tactless. Terrible. I mean, what is he thinking? Who is he? He isn't even thinking about who he's offending by it saying that. It sounds to me like the guy is exhausted from the press tour and just rambling. His dad is this great underground filmmaker, you know? It just, I mean, it just feels so ironic to hear somebody put things in those terms. But... Outside of that little cameo he did for his buddy John Favreau in what was technically an indie last year, Chef, he hasn't been doing indies, so it may in fact be coming from a real place. 
he doesn't have to do them right now. I mean, he had the Sherlock Holmes uh, franchise on top of, of the of, of of the Marvel. But you know, the Marvel is coming to to an end. I mean, the new, you know, if if you go to see the Avengers this weekend, you will see that there's a new generation upon us. Right. You know, I mean, cameos will be his future, I suspect. And uh, I'm curious. I mean, he he, what comes up must come down, and and Downey isn't going to be on top forever. So. He, he'll mark my words. He will be <laughs> playing the indie game when he has to. I want to see him get to like a, a Christopher Plummer moment, and you know, at eighty years old, he gets his his Oscar for playing some you know old man dying from cancer or something. You know, he's just he just has to wait out a couple of decades of of having another fall from grace, and then maybe he can come back again. You know, it could be a cyclical sort of thing. It's just I don't know. I mean, I. Whenever I see actors who get cast in bigger projects, I always feel divided about it. And we talked about this before with indie actors going to do studio projects. I mean, I have an instinctual aversion to all kinds of studio stuff. And I think the new Avengers movie, which also opens this weekend, is like a perfect example of what's so frustrating, which is that everything has an expiration date. If you get away with making a great movie for a ton of money, well, that's not really the agenda. That's not why the studio is making the movies to make it great. They're just trying to make money. So... After a while, that's not going to get you anywhere, you know, and it right. really, it, 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 there is a certain value in terms of, like, however you define your own personal economy in, in thinking in terms of quality. This is why I think critics are, are, are more relevant than ever, and critical thought is more relevant than ever, you know, and I got into a Facebook war with some good friends of mine who were really mad about Manola Dargis's, uh lead for her Avengers review this week, which I think everybody should check out because I, I really, I really liked the way in which she sort of laid out the fact that whether or not you like this movie is irrelevant to the fact that it's been designed to play to a lot of people who are eager to see it, you know? And that's that that to me is, is, uh, is the biggest issue with the way in which these movies inform how mainstream culture understands this art form, you know? I just... I'm gearing up to go to the Cannes Film Festival, and that's just such a different world, and I want more people to be willing to understand that that world is sort of how we should be looking at movies rather than through the filter of the most expensive one that's being released in, in the most theaters. Well, Eric, I will remind you of the obvious, which is that you are uh, part of a very rarefied The critical club. establishment. And it's your job to be Mr. Highbrow I'm a and highbrow Iowa. elitist. Even Manola Dargis is forced... Uh, by virtue of her job at a highbrow publication, the New York Times, to address mainstream movies in a more frequent and habitual way than you are. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and therefore, I, to recognize that there's an enormous group of people who love these movies sure, passionately. They have almost like a religious connection to them, irrespective of whether or not they fully deliver in the way that they're supposed to but I, I you know I have an element of geek in me and I'm out at a horror genre festival I'm not, kind of a thing, uh, I'm not suspecting you, know. you of, of so, that but you're going to go for the smart highbrow geek well what I want to bring your... is a highbrow sensibility to any kind of culture irrespective of how it's been designed or what the underlying motives are for its existence coming full circle we started out talking about something like far from the matting crowd well Would I'm rooting be... for far from the matting crowd to be I am rooting for Far From the Madden crowd. It should do well. We do should circle. studios make to more be, movies? To be like a this? mainstream hit. To, I will to cross admit, over. Let me, let me tell you something. I will admit I, I, I did a search for 
Thomas Vinterberg in the, in the WikiLeaks in the Sony Archives thing. Before we had this conversation, because it, it just it's fascinating to search this thing. I'm sorry, but it's it's there. And there's one email where somebody presses Amy Pascal to take a meeting with Vinterberg because he's in post on Far From the Madden Grout and looks great, and they want him to make bigger movies. And I was thinking, this is maybe promising. Let's get those kinds of people to start to continue to seed what those bigger movies are rather than just accepting it. They're always looking to raid. They're always looking to raid. I mean, look at all those filmmakers from Jan Demange to, to, uh, you know, there's, they announced that Damien Safran is, is writing a a remake, (laughs) you know, I mean, they're, they're the, the guy from wild tales, you know, they've, they've all sold out every single one of them. They're, they're going and Hollywood is happy to, to, to get them. While well, on that grim note, next week we get to talk about canned stuff because it'll be right around the corner, so I can't Yeah, wait. we'll give our wish list next week. Exactly. We're going to say what we're excited about. That'll be fun. Till then, take care, Anne. Okay. Bye-bye.